Blog Talk Radio. And hello, folks. Once again, it is a Friday, and we are back into the breach once more. Uh, we are on my mind with Adrian and CR podcast. Um, for those of you who have been watching us, welcome back. For the people who are new, thank you for tuning in. Uh, right now, we come live uh, every other Friday at 6 o'clock. Otherwise, you can check my our uh, Facebook page and our YouTube page of the same name and find prior shows. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about medical billing and coding. Um, I've got two guests on today. Uh, the one you know, Adrian, um, she's our regular co-host. We're actually going to be interviewing her today about this, and then I've got a guest co-host coming on. Uh, CJ, you've seen her before, and we're going to talk about billing and coding. So without further ado, I'm going to bring both of them on here. We'll bring Adrian up first. Hello, Adrian. How are you doing? Hi, CR. I'm doing good. I'm excited that CJ is going to join us. Right. Let me bring her up. Hello, CJ. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Well, hey, at least we got it working again. That's two for two, right? Right. Yeah, you know, technology is great until it's not great, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be talking about um, medical billing coding tonight, but there's uh, two things I wanted to get out of the way before we started. And the first one is um, we're, we're getting into the colder season, so November's right around the corner. Um, and I know for me in the fall and the winter, I like to, uh, light candles here and there. Um, I never used to do a lot of it because I would work at, I used to work security at malls and I'd walk by those stores and just get a sentry overload. Uh, just, just too many smells at the same time. But, um, I have stumbled across a company that, uh, they do a really good job. Uh, she is a one woman band. It is Dutch Country Soy Candles. They are out of Pennsylvania. Um, and the one that I have right here is the Dark Teakwood. And that is really great. I think we ended up getting you one too, Adrian. What do you think? Um, well, I actually am not a candle person here, but this candle I love. It's um, cinnamon. What's it called? Cinnamon, I have to look at the lid. Cinnamon fun. Cinnamon fun. And it's really fresh and clear. It doesn't, it's not an overscent, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I do get sensitive to smells. It's a real natural, and of course, cinnamon is natural. Right. So I was really actually pretty excited to use mm-hmm. mine. I have it burning now, and it smells tremendous. I also think I would enjoy the teakwood. Um, just because, again, it's more of a natural smell. Right. And the nice thing about these is they're 100% uh, soy, and they are dye-free. Uh, and they are made um, in the Pennsylvania Dutch territory. So you know that there's huge attention to detail when they're making things out there. And uh, Where do we, uh, where do we log in to find more uh, if we want to buy? So if you go to Facebook and you look up, Dutch country soy candles. It's a picture of a little red truck with candles around it. Okay. I believe the candles are like $5. Uh, It's worth a try. Uh, I know there's people out there that don't do candles, but. Um, Yeah, and that's a reasonable price. I keep trying to adjust my camera. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. It's a little side to side kind of thing. So I was trying to shift a little bit like. So it's just, just an awkward position with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to 
my hand is, uh, I'm just holding my phone. So my right. hand is getting a little stiffer trying to hold up my phone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah, she's on Facebook, Dutch Country Soy Candles. Um, and she does, she does a really good job. So she sponsors On My Mind podcast, and they also sponsor um, the other show that I'm on, uh, Freaking Awesome Paranormal podcast. Um, so one other thing that we wanted, I wanted to get out of the way is um, we will have a uh, small show change. I don't think it's going to affect us too much, um, but it being the school year. Um, Adrian is a professor at uh, Dakota County Technical College uh, teaching um, medical billing and coding. And it can get it can get a little bit rough on a professor. Um, so basically what she's doing is for now, um, she's going to step down into more of a co-host role and CJ is going to step up into the um, or Adrian's going to step down into a guest co-host role and CJ's going to step up into the co-host role for now. Um, and you may see just two of us on, on the show. You may see three of us. So, uh, but you know, we do whatever we can to help out in, you know, it's, it, it's nice to see fresh faces every now and then. So, yeah, yeah definitely. so let's go ahead and let's start the show. Um, I think it would be interesting to hear, because I know the both of you kind of have a background in in the coding uh, realm. Not so much coding, but billing. Okay, so you're on the yeah. billing side. Yeah, okay. I work for a branch of Blue Cross Blue Shield. It's like a sister branch that processes Medicare claims. Okay. So um, I've done corrections to Medicare claims for most of my time with the mm -hmm. company, and then I just recently switched to IT. So okay. I've learned a few things here and there when people call in to switch stuff on their claims. I've learned a little bit about what codes are what, because they'll sure. explain, I need to change it to this code because it's for this or for that. Or so I've learned a little bit along mm -hmm. the way. And Adrian, um, what's your background, Adrian? Well, actually, um, I was an elementary school teacher out in the state of Washington. When we moved here, I had to take some classes before I could get my state teaching license. Mm -hmm. And um, we wanted the finer things in life, life, like heat and electricity, water, those kind of things. So I had to work right away. And I went to work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota. And I got into um, customer service for mm -hmm. Uh, ironically, the state of Minnesota plan, because that's now my coverage plan as a teacher, and it's absolutely awesome. Um, and then I went to provider services. I was there for about a year and a half, and I did a lot of claims research. So, you know, we'd have the provider's office saying, this claim denied, you know, and I'd say, oh, you know, it's because... Mercury wasn't retrograde, and so I just do the research and see was it did it deny correctly? What what's going on with it? And if it denied incorrectly, you know, if it if it denied correctly, I'd talk to the provider's office about why why it was denied, um, or if it paid correctly, why the payment wasn't what they thought it would be. Um, but it was fascinating to me because mm. here there's human error and then there's system error. So who who programs the computers? It's humans. Right. And we would have hundreds and hundreds of different policies mm -hmm. with different benefits. And it was amazing how IT could set the systems up to adjudicate those claims oftentimes and most of the time without a human eye ever looking at them unless it was a large dollar amount or you worked for a provider who was in timeout and their claims had to be sold out so maybe the, we can look a little closer at them mm -hmm. for different reasons they have to reactivate or re-enroll um, update their enrollment process and certain things that they get called out on that they have to update for and then 
they try to do the claim and it won't take it. And then they go to the website and it says, this is not enrolled for the date of service. And then they're like, well, why? It's like, well, you're still in a, you're still in the process of revalidating, right? Yeah. There you go. Right. I think I do agree that it could be like 5,000 different reasons. You have enrollment, you have benefit levels, you have deductibles, you have non-covered services. Oh, yeah. This goes on and on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they try to use um, they try to use coding that is unprocessable for a claim to use that's not available in a certain area or a reason why, and then they get shut down on that, and then they call, why did this not process? Why did it do this? Like, okay, there's probably a lot of reasons why. <laughs> right. And a lot of times communication between the patient and the provider would be like really wonky or not mm -hmm. even accurate. Like they, they, uh, yeah, what would they say? There was a classic one where they're like, um, you told or, or customer service told the patient that the um, provider used the wrong diagnosis. Well, we we documented every call that came into customer service and mm -hmm. provider service, and I can clearly see that was not said. What was typically said was, well, you came in for a wellness visit, and you also had an illness, and so you have two little separate claims, mm -hmm. and one gets paid at 100%, the other one might fall to deductible, and patients aren't happy about that. And it's patient education, uh, but I, I I was always like missed because I'm like, I don't know anybody who would just say, your provider coded this wrong. <laughs> so in, in coding and billing, you're saying that note keeping, um, especially when you're, when you're on the service provider side of it, note taking when you're on the phone call is an important thing to do. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Document I was, everything. Right. Especially because when the patient calls the provider, mm -hmm. the provider sometimes doesn't know what answer to give them. But instead right. of giving them the correct phone number to call for the correct information, they give them the provider number that they're supposed to call oh. and tell the patient to call the provider. Oh. And right. the provider, the patient gets mad when they're told to call that line, then we have to explain, no, 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 no. <laughs> when you have an issue, you need to call 1-800-MEDICARE. Right. Yeah. And it's really confusing for patients as a patient. Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy. Insurance is complex. Well, and I, I've definitely been there. So. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, what we would do with a lot of patients and provider education and, you know, reassuring that we would, we would review the claim as we would get, like, now it's probably all certified coders reviewing them, and we'll uh, make a determination and call you back and explain why it was coded that way. Mm -hmm. Or if there was an issue, we could work with a provider's office. You know, because let's say a patient comes in with a migraine, and they also that day um, need a complete blood count. Uh, maybe even they have anemia and they're looking at specific levels and so they've got two diagnoses um two problems mm -hmm. and for some reason the lab test for cbc came in with a diagnosis of migraine you're going to hit it a medically medical necessity edit that says we don't pay for cbc's for migraine no, right. and, and you want to have that lab linked with the reasons for the lab. Was it anemia? Was it a screening lab? But you don't want to have a headache on that. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how I got started. And um, when I was working at Blue Cross, I worked there for five years, and um, I was in the provider department where we would go out to certain organizations we are assigned to, and I was assigned the University of Minnesota working on a project, and the, the university, the department at the university has brought in consultants um, from this company called the Profile Group. Oh. And the Profile Group ended up 
recruiting me later because really my soft skills were, were you know, and my, you know, I would get to the root of the problem for them and have a for another month because we had a list of like, you know, probably a minimum of 1,500 system edits that needed to be adjusted or something. Uh, I would do a workaround for them where we'd figure out how to get their claims paid in the meantime. So anyway, um, Profile Group, this consulting firm, asked me to come on. I was not a certified coder. Um, I came into their professional department where they worked with the profession of medicine and doctors, and they, this was 1998. What had happened in 1997 was huge because they had new documentation guidelines for physicians and they wanted me to be a trainer. And so in order to do that, we got, I got certified uh, and a couple other consultants that ordered a book off AAPC and we studied on our own and then passed our certification. So, you know, I, I, I kind of laughed a little bit. I, I was teaching fourth grade, you know, a few months earlier, and then I'm out at Rush Hospital in Chicago teaching physicians, teaching physicians, mm. um, and they were not always happy. I mean, I, I remember my first seminar at a teaching hospital, and there was this big long board table and the lead physician was screaming at me and he had this huge vein popping in his forehead. And I thought, we're gonna have an aneurysm. I can code that, you know, but, <laughs> but none of none of his cohorts would do anything and so I finally just stopped it and said, You and I will talk afterwards because I have to get I have a lot of important information here that we're not going to get to. So let's do another time together. All of his cronies kind of came up with me on the break. And there's some story. He, you know, like, he didn't say it, but you could tell him, like, he, he's my asshole, you know. So he's being a dick. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a, as a teaching physician, they <clears throat> They have a lot, a lot to do. Right. And I, I can understand the tension and everything, and here are these new guidelines. But that type of reaction usually let me know they weren't doing things correctly, mm. <laughs> and they weren't happy with having to do things correctly. Well, and as a as a teaching physician, I mean that's that's understandable because not only are they juggling a caseload of patients, they're actually juggling a classroom full of students. Right. And there's some complexity about how residents get paid. They get paid by the facility. Mm -hmm. So they, you cannot code, unless you're under a primary care exception, you cannot code resident services without the teaching physician being involved at some mm -hmm. level. So, you know, I, I don't know what he had been doing, but he was not a heavy camper. And I remember thinking to myself, CR and CJ, I remember thinking, I'm either going to get really good at this or I'm going to get out. <laughs> and, and I did. I got really good at it. So I, I stayed with Profile Group for several years and then started that own consulting firm. And then uh, after 911, I didn't want to travel anymore, mm -hmm. so I went to work for a smaller clinic, um, which I ran the, the I ran interference on one of the most complex fraud schemes. We won't name names, CR, if you know that. Yeah, I, I was just laughing because not only did she work there, I worked there for a number of years. So I... The guys that we all know about? Could be. I'll, I'll message you off of Yeah. Well, I remember one time it was really bad because I was at this conference that everybody knew him, and um, they kept saying, well, the speaker was 10 times, he said, if 
your director, you need to go have a come to Jesus meeting with your director. It's not really appropriate now, right? But set it up. You know, on the tenth time I said, What if your director thinks he is Jesus? <laughs> because we had a cowboy. We had somebody who yeah. was good at business and business law is very different than healthcare. After my own consulting firm, then I went to work for this clinic because it was not that far from home. I absolutely had did have to travel all over. Um, then later I was recruited by McManus and Monsalvi, which is a firm that does auditing for Indian Health Services and the tribes across the United States. That was a cool job. Yeah, a lot of good experience, a lot of different specialists, so name it from you know, I worked with dermatologists, I worked with podiatrists, internal medicine, um, palliative care. They were really cool. Mm-hmm. All these specialties, and I really got well-trained in a lot. And surgery, I got really good at surgery auditing. So to be an auditor, you you take a look back forensically at the claims, and you look at the documentation and make sure everything matches up, and you work with the providers and give them feedback, like documentation feedback, and then you work with the coders and give them feedback. So this is if there's fraudulent activity that's suspected? Well, no. Um, I I did end up being that kind of auditor as well, and I skipped one of my jobs Um, more like, working for this insurance company that was called Optum, and we were investigating the fraud. We worked, yeah, on, you know what I'm talking about, CJ. So when I worked there as a fraud investigator, we worked with different agencies, whether it was, you know, FBI, mm-hmm. OIG, or whatever. Like, we could find out who, which, like, there was a provider group in Long Beach that was on the radar that they were doing medically unnecessary procedures for hyperhydrosis and they well, you know that good. procedure that has the client lost nerves go yeah. all your lungs out of the way. It was never medically necessary. They got the patients to lie about it and they false documentation, the whole thing. So we were investigating that. I had a a uh, university physician that was on our list and every Play every one of her documentation that came across the night. said every patient had a 0.8 orbital lesion. Can you imagine that? Every patient. Bingo, that's a whole fraud. Right. Yeah. So um, she did have a million dollars worth of fraud. Um, and so they, you know, we, we reported her to the Department of Justice or the um, Department of Insurance in her state. Any chance that person was a Scientologist? <laughs> I, no, it wasn't in that area of the country. Listen, I was assigned Florida. So, as you know, California is a big fraud state. Florida. Yeah. California and Florida are mm-hmm. big fraud. On top of that, you also have branches of Scientology. They have an organization called WISE. They're chiropractors and medical providers that uh, cause a whole lot of fraud because what they do is not um, medically useful. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, they use stuff that they that comes out of uh, book documentation by a frauding Dale Ron Hubbard. Right. They just kind of make stuff up. You know how many people have died in their drug facilities, Narconon? Only there. Wow. Yeah. 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 They don't treat them, and I know a few people who used to work in those facilities, and they will tell you that the people who were going in there for drug treatment, they were being they were being given what's called auditing, and then the people that were running the facility were secretly doing drugs along with the patients that were supposed to be treated for drug problems. Joy. Wise organizations still exist in California and Florida. It's a whole lot of um, a lot more of them are chiropractors, from what I've heard now, but. Right. Yeah. Um, I teach a legal class for healthcare law, and my students are, like, surprised when they first 
learn about, we go out to the OIG database and we look up cases and I have assignments for them to do that. And they're shocked. They're like, in a, and I have to remind them, it's, in, you know, in the whole scheme of things, the percentage of providers is few, but they make up billions of dollars of right. health care from I mean, look at the guy that Trump just pardoned recently. That guy was committing millions of dollars in fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's your money, CJ. It's your money, CR. It's my money. And anybody who's listening to it, you know, you pay into health care, whether it's through your employer, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. You pay right. your state. Your state covers certain people, and you pay into those taxes. So it is alarming. So after I, where where did I leave off? Okay, so after I did the fraud investigation, I went to work for McManus, which was a great experience. And then I landed a job at Dakota County Technical College Mm -hmm. to teach medical coding. Absolutely love it. Our college acronym is DCTC, and if anybody wants to look it up, you can go um, dctc.edu. In our medical coding area, we have three programs. One is an associate's degree, which really is the best program because you get um, a lot of knowledge in there and some leadership skills. The other one is our diploma. Our associates is 60 degree, 60 degrees. <laughs> Our associates program is 60 credits. Our diploma is 39. And then I created a certificate. But the certificate is only if you work in healthcare, say you're in the billing department and you want to get your coding. It's oh, okay. four classes, two right. semesters. Just wanted to put a pause on here, and I wanted to say hi to uh, Sue from Walla Walla and hi to Andrea from Southern California. Those viewers? Yep. Hello. Hello. Um, This is a funny part is they're sitting in your living room right now, so. Yeah. I abandoned them. I hear them cackling in the background. Yeah, total abandonment. My sister, Andrea, is my childhood friend, and she comes out here for the first time to Minnesota. I don't even tell her because I'm like, no, if I say I am, like, on a podcast, she'll be like, oh, I don't need to come that night, and I want her to be here. <laughs> Selfish reason. Yeah. So, and my sister, too, from Walla Walla, my favorite place to stay. will help you 
hold the job while you get the more advanced training? Yeah, I, I have had some coders hired without being a certified coder. Mm -hmm. And so an organization has hired some of my students. And um, they know the quality of our program. Um, Alina referred someone. So uh, one of my students called Alina, which is our huge quality health center out here. And they said, how, how do I become a certified coder? And they said, well, um, what's your background? What? And they referred them to our coding program at DCTC. I have an orthopedic office, a big system that's hired three coders within the last year. Mm -hmm. And they come back, University of Minnesota, dental clinic have gotten a hold of me. So what's, what's our best advertising? It's our alumni because they go into these facilities and while they're not experts, they can get right in there and do coding. Mm -hmm. And so medical coding is nothing like IT coding, right, CJ? No, not at all. <laughs> I can vouch for that too. And yeah, I are taking some coding classes that were non-medical, but it's the idea is you learn a different language. You learn mm -hmm. how to use numerics to send in what the patient had done. Those are called procedure or office visit codes. And then diagnosis mm -hmm. the codes. Yes, AMA. AMA has the big copyright on those 12,000 EPT or current procedural terminology codes. And then um, there's ICD-10, which stands for International Classification of Disease, 10th edition, interval modification. So that's what goes back to like, um, you know, morbidity and illness, but that book goes back to mortality codes. Like mm -hmm. when people died, um, they want to know what they died of, and it's been modified for a clinical manual. How many how many years um, when the ICD gets refreshed? How many how many years do they? That's a good question. Every year they pass the week and revise codes. Mm -hmm. So um, new diseases come up, or they have a better classification of of a family of disease. Because mm -hmm. um, I know with you know with with doxy having been an electrician, the the Minnesota NEC uh, updates every three years. Wow! Okay, what's 
13, 14, something like that states, maybe more than that. It breaks down by jurisdiction, of course, but um, they call it the Noridian Medicare portal. And then the states that we don't cover either go to NGS, CDS, or I think the other one's still called WPS. Yeah, with mm. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And one of the things that my students learn is we do some activities on the NGS system where they have to look up policy or look up medical necessity, or like during a lecture, I'll pull it up and talk about it. Because what I got from the AAPC when I go to their meetings is that colleges don't necessarily teach the um, you know, Medicare administrative carrier at all. Like, no. The students need to know because if you're a coder and you're going to uh, hopefully code it, code something correctly, it has to be documented, mm -hmm. right? And then you need to make sure you match that medical necessity code that we talked about earlier. Yeah. The other thing that AEPC told me, um, and this was the St. Paul chapter, was that colleges did not teach evaluation and management coding. And when I first came to my job, my job, my students told me, well, we were told we didn't need that, that they were trained us on the job. And I said, wait, <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, <laughs> we are going to evaluation management the next month like for the next three to four weeks. So and they 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 pulled themselves up from the by the bootstraps and we did right. and uh, you know the the guidelines have gotten less complex I believe since then with the new two thousand and twenty three So that's you can hear my text here, sorry <laughs> Where are you? But, yeah, seriously. And they text, they really text. So I'm not sure if you guys can hear the sounds that my phone is making over here or not. Yeah, we'll just ignore you. <laughs> I mean, not like that, but. <laughs> my favorite thing, though, Adrian, is um, when they add in those nonsense codes, um, I don't know if it's because they need some kind of coverage for certain things or if they have, I, I don't know how well that works, but there are like a set of really, really, really stupid codes that get put into the ICD-10 code. And I was I was telling them about some of them today because mm -hmm. we used to laugh about those at work all the time in the corrections department. We would all pick out a favorite dumb code. That was one of our favorites and we would laugh about that <laughs> or look up and see if any new ones had come out. Or, right. You know, um, my favorite of those codes, and they're called external cost codes for accidents and injuries. Um, there is one that I think it's W51 decimal point X, 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 A, and it's when you're skiing, water skiing. And the water skis are on fire. <clears throat> yeah, I was telling him about that one today. How, wait, no, I, I, I don't want to know. Mm -mm. Oh, I mean, it's, in the Florida man code. right, that, that's got to come out of a ski show somewhere. Yeah. Well, the thing is, usually, even though some of those are really stupid and they're kind of like, we don't use them whatsoever, and sometimes mm -hmm. they're not even processable codes that people use for anything. Yeah. It's so hilarious because you're like, has that actually happened where they had to put that code in the book? Right. Or am I just like, I don't know. What if you're water skiing and suddenly your skis burst in the flames? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've never used that. So, no. um, but, you know, I, I also have. Um, cartoons things going in my head that I thought, what was it? Did the Trixie company like think they were putting a safer fuel like propane but they put gasoline on all the seeds? <laughs> Why did that happen? <laughs> How did you catch on fire in the water? <laughs> right. Jump out of your seat like the safety. Or yeah. the front code, that's one of my favorites, too. But fun to death engine. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Um, so I was asking <clears throat> CR about that, and so that's a V code. It goes V97, mm -hmm. like this whole point. And right. that's where sucked into a jet engine, 
subsequent encounters. So it means you right. What it what it means the second encounter visit with the uh, provider for yeah. that particular injury. But our joke at work was second encounter. How did you survive the first one? <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I just recently today showed a video, uh, shared a video with uh, mom and dad that, so my dad was a Navy corpsman for four years, and he was on an aircraft carrier for two. And being a corpsman, they would have to see all these, um, being on an aircraft carrier, everybody would have to watch these don't be that guy video of flight deck operations and there was an aircraft called the a6 intruder and it had the air intakes on either side of the bottom of the cockpit and when it was spooled up still had to work underneath the plane to get it hooked up to the catapult some guy wasn't watching where he was going and he stood right in front of it and it sucked him into the intake on the left side um, but he had half a mind to, while he was getting sucked in, throw his arms up and throw his feet out. And it um, wedged him enough that he didn't go into the fan blades, but it sucked the helmet off of his head and fought it out the motor. Um, I don't even know how he can think that fast, because I would just be like, this is it. Come in to see you. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's... Yeah, well, how, what kind of reaction? The funny thing about that, or the interesting thing about that is, you know, he's he's like a 18, 19-year-old kid. So, right. you know, maybe reaction times were up. Because I know if that happened to me now, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to the other side real quick. <laughs> you know, so these codes, as crazy as they are, it would be great to do some research just to see when they're used. Right. Um, I love the animal ones, DJ, like um, struck by duck, um, bitten by a kitten, uh, turtle, you name it. There is those. I encounter with an orca whale, second encounter. (laughs) Yet again, second encounter. So what the heck? (laughs) It just means that you went in for a second treatment with a physician for whatever, however you managed to survive your encounter with an orca whale. Well, we always made the joke that. Well, and that's that's kind of interesting because that that you said that because in the like early to mid '90s, um, SeaWorld came under fire because there were two incidences where um, the two people really weren't that lucky. Uh, one was a guy snuck into SeaWorld after hours and went swimming with Tilcom who was known as Shamu, um, and Shamu went, oh, look at this toy, grabbed him, and went down to the bottom of the tank and just stayed there. Um, People in the morning, you know, they're opening up, and they see this thing floating in Tilikum's tank, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh. The second one was the trainer was in during a show swimming with Tilikum, or another another Shamu, and same thing. She went to go do a trick. It grabbed her leg, dragged her down to the bottom of the tank, and you're done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the cost is. definitely a possibility. I don't know what the probability is, but it does happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just refer to those as Florida men Right. Yeah. Florida men are, well, Apparently a little nuts. It it is well documented that the Florida man is crazy. Yes. Wow. For that, okay, I'll watch it when I go to Florida on vacation. (laughs) Yeah, just listen to um, listen to Darkness Radio because Tuesday's dumb crime, stupid criminals talks a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Favorite is the Florida man that threw the gator through the drive-through window. Yep. I don't. There could be a code for that, but I, just, I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, unspecified gator code. Like, code, 
code for shit whipping a gator through a window? Uh, injury, injury by crocodile bite or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, what the animal code I did get to use, and I got to tell the coders, well, here's here's what you could use next time. And the history of Prevalent illness in the chart read, the little girl was spending the night at her friend's house walking on the wood floor barefoot when the pet pig came up and bit her. And so hmm. there is a code, a W code for bitten by pig. And you can put the last character on for your first visit or your second visit. Or sequela, which is a late effect. <laughs> yeah. So you lots know. of crazy codes. So we have 70,000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always a Saturday evening read. Right. 4,000 codes in here. So, of course, you know, coders are like, well, what? I'm like, you don't memorize them. I have the feeling that if I sat down, I have the feeling that if I sat down to read those W codes, I would, you, you would definitely hear what in the Alabama step is this, you know, because there's probably going to be some really weird codes in there. There's actually a code that we call the vampire bite code. Unknown or unspecified uh, bite or contusion to neck. Hmm. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> when I worked um, in a, in a uh, for a doctor who worked in an urgent care, thinking about bites and animal bites, they said if somebody woke up and there was a bat in their room, they have to go through this full rabies series shot if they don't bring the bat in. Hmm. But I'm not going to bring any bat into my visit with me. Like, uh, no, not, I'm going to, like, kill it or something crazy, but, right. you know. But here's my bat. Well, you know, for that you for testing to see if it has right. rabies, which would save you from that whole series. Well, and it reminds me of the scene from uh, Great Outdoors, Chevy Chase and, uh, what was it? Um, oh, yeah, our favorite actor. Or Dan Aykroyd um, and John Candy. Yeah, John Candy. Yeah, they're struck by Macaw. Yeah, all kinds of encounter with the cow. Oh, Christopher, I have, I have. So it's hard not to talk about these codes because mm-hmm. these are and a wacky one, but there is one where, um, so many years ago, I heard about this code. We were studying the external cost codes, and it said that an occupant of a railway was hit by rolling stock. And I, I said, well, what I think that probably means is they were walking outside the car mm-hmm. or a break, and Cows came through rolling stock, you know. Get along, little doggy. Get along. (laughs) They got hit by the cows. Rolling stock. What is that? Well, being being the resident train nut, um, rolling stock in uh, train speak refers to train cars. Um, Dry goods vans, the reefer units, the oil tankers, uh, anything pulled by um, a locomotive is called rolling stock. And um, not only can, um, like, passengers or uh, just regular public get hit by them, but also uh, employees like brakemen, conductors, because um, it's, it's very common, even though today, um, for conductors and brakemen to be getting on and off trains at what we consider low speed, but it's between 10 and 15 miles an hour, or zero, oh, yeah. zero to 15. And basically all you're doing is you're, you're judging handrail and that first step coming up, and you're just reaching out and you're putting your first arm and your first leg up and just, you know, letting the train pick you up. The rolling stock is a rolling compartment, a train compartment. Yep. 
Now there is also, and I am I am probably guessing. I just learned about this incident the other day, but I'm guessing that they they used it in this accident. But in 1991, they were phasing out the um, GM F units um, out on the East Coast, and it was the very last day that they were running these. I mean, these were these were the first diesel electric from the 40s. They were the streamlined ones, and it was the very last day that that <clears throat> the uh, this metro municipality was running these F units, and it was a busy commuter line and um, it was a double track, and there was a train on the nearest track to the um, depot. So that was it was you couldn't see what was coming on the next track. But the horns went off, the bells went off, the cross bucks came down, but people were still walking out, you know, trying to trying to time it. Well, there was a lady. And her lawyer, she was going through divorce, so she was walking with her lawyer. And you can you can see this on YouTube. You can see her get hit. I haven't watched it yet, but did her husband post it? <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can you can see a lady before she and her lawyer walk out. You can see a lady walk halfway and look down the track and see that the train's coming and back off. Whereas she and her lawyer were in deep conversation and they just started going out. And at the last second, her lawyer saw it and stopped and she kept going and it clipped her right, right in the middle. And she, you know, passed away. Um, Yeah. She ended up passing away right on the spot, but, Oh, wow. There's and, and let me let me speak to this. When there's an accident, whether it be with a pedestrian or a vehicle or a, a semi truck, um, the majority of these trains are, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds in weight. And right. if you are a fully loaded train, say you're a fully loaded train, you maybe couple hundred cars worth you've got multiple locomotives on the head end and maybe one or two on the tail end once once the engineer hits the emergency brake and the independent brake um you're not stopping like a little like a little honda civic you're not Uh, you're not even stopping like a semi-truck these trains are taking at least a mile to two miles to completely stop um, so unfortunately, whatever they hit, they're dragging with them for that long. Yeah, and the, the um, you know, we, we started out saying that the ICD-10 international classification of disease was really a mortality book about death. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the clinical model is, is adjusted for injury. But a lot of occupations will have codes in the ICD-10, so I've worked with doctors in Shiprock area who deal with black lung. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for reporting those 70,000 codes. And the thing is, is that coders get really good at it, and they, mm-hmm. most people love it because it's, see, Dave, do you think it's like solving puzzles a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I do compare it to that, actually, because when I was working that, we didn't have to know what the codes were, but the provider would tell us, here's what the code needs to be changed to. Eventually, you would pick up a pattern where you could tell, okay, so this was in this group of potents or Mm -hmm. this belonged to this, and then you would kind of start to put it together like, oh, okay, so this is classified as this, or this is grouped into this, or so it was kind of like understanding like this versus what this code is to a specificity, I can say that word, (laughs) Uh, you know, like you don't want to code it this, whereas the diagnosis fits more for this. 
And she would kind of start to put those puzzles together, like, okay, so this person got this diagnosis code, but really what they should have coded it for was this. Right. Like and if the patient breaks an arm and sees the orthopedist, hopefully the chart says right or left arm. You never want to see the coder just putting an unspecified code. Uh, yeah. I mean, because, like, I hope provider documented the writer was armed. Right. Yeah. Yes. There is a code for unspecified in certain situations like that. And so a lot of it's common sense. Some of it's problem solving. And with your background, you have an amazing like you've got the IT, you've got the claims. And I went to college for graphic design and web design, so I've learned a little bit about microcoding and a whole lot about computer coding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I tell my students these days, if you like computers, if you like computer coding or com working with computers, that's a great thing to match your coding certificate with. Or if you want to go into compliance, um, like I did, that's another great thing. And the other thing is, you can you have so many different employment choices from payers fraud companies, the federal government, clinics, hospitals, and it really is a, it's a tremendous field. It's, uh, it's on fire. I'd like to say there's a code for that. But right. It's going to be right. Right. We should have a code for, like, I sprained my wrist from picking up my IT right? <laughs> I know there's actually a code for injury by crochet hook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how you injure yourself on a crochet hook because have you seen one? Okay, it don't. Not what about if it's intentional? Yeah, like, I mean, like throw someone over the head with it, or, or you fell on it, uh, sitting on it wrong. Right. Okay. Crochet, and they they don't have it. It's not. No, like it's just it. a big long hook. Yeah. And there's not like there's a sharp point on them. No. It's just a big, long metal hook. <laughs> well, I think yeah. that's I think that's the problem is because the majority of them are aluminum. Yeah. Most of them are the smaller yeah. ones. I can see how you can injure yourself on them, but the, the larger ones, like, what did you do? Put it upright and sit on it? Right. <laughs> yeah, Trip we your friend and hold it out. So, when I worked at the office on my lunch break, I would take my cross stitch out and I accidentally stuck myself with the needle one time. And, um, yeah, and I looked around at my coworkers and was like, is there a Medicare code for this? side of it, but we'll still we'll still stay on StreamYard for a little bit because I got a couple. Can I just say bctc.edu and no matter what state you live in, you can go to our school, take our classes 100% online, asynchronous for the busy adult, and you have moi as an excellent teacher. So I had a question as, as far as um, people in the um, civilian realm can can do coding. Um, as far as the medical, um, as far as military medical, do they hire their own? Do they train their own? Do they have their own training program? Or is that something where they contract um, uh, civilian contractors? Um, I, I think what I seen like with the VA or local VA, which is a government agency, it's not like um, the Navy or the Army or whatever, who require certified coders. Um, as far as like naval hospitals, they do amazing training and amazing things, and I, I really, I'm not sure. Right. Uh, but I'm sure like if you have, you are a certified coder, that would help. It used to be that they did code in those places, and now, now they do. Mm -hmm. Well, and they can 
they can do outside third-party billing as well, oh, okay. outside coders. Um, a lot of medical providers, whether they're, you know, military or not, they, they hire outside mm-hmm. of the company. They hire a third-party billing service, and that's pretty common day. So that's, um, that's something that they can do, too, or they can hire internally. They can, put, you know, put up a post, you know, maybe they do want a civilian, but maybe they want to send one of their own people that's on base to get that training. Right. Maybe they have someone that goes in there and yep. wants to help uh, servicemen and women medical, and so they'll have someone there trained in school. So that there's someone internally, but right. a lot of the times if they don't have someone internally, they'll just hire externally to a third-party billing service. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I work for health billing system, which is a billing company, and they do anesthesia claims, and we build 